So later on this afternoon we'll be watching a movie called Another Year, which is directed by Mike Lee, who's an English director. <clears throat> like many of his uh, films, it touches upon human emotions. And um, so today's talk is uh, exploring um, emotional the experience of emotional hurt, which we've all, we've all experienced, so we all have some understanding of what it means to be hurt emotionally. In, in one sense, um, all emotional hurt can be understood as a narcissistic injury or wound in the sense in which it's our experience of being a separate self uh, in which we experience woundedness and emotional hurt. different degrees of severity of emotional hurt. There's what we might call simple hurt um, and as contrasted to maybe uh, a, a developmental trauma. And um, in this talk really focusing a little bit more on the the sense of a simple emotional hurt. Um, although, you know, if someone has experienced pretty severe developmental trauma, then that can always be a background uh, in which uh, um, what might be for somebody else a simple hurt might turn up, may, may, may be re-traumatizing for somebody else. So we're all different in that way. Um, what I may experience as a simple rejection of some kind that hurts me, somebody else might be very re-traumatized by that if they had severe abandonment or rejection when they were a child. So it's not a, not a level playing field that we're dealing with. We're, we're all born into different contexts and different environments. Some of us more fortunate than others. I also want to bring your attention to the sense in which um, our self experienced as awareness is never hurt, never injured. And that realization of how our self can be a refuge. is one of the gifts that our practice gives to us. It's only human to be heard. And so whatever I say today is not meant to be 
a criticism or saying it's wrong or one shouldn't be hurt. One can't help being human and one can't help being caught in the self-centered dream. But this separate self is the reason why we suffer so much emotionally. And if we can get some insight into that, then we can find our way home, back to the refuge, back to our home, back to our essential nature. It's probable that the origins of the separate self lie in our identification with the body at a very young age, possibly around about the age that developmentalists refer to as the mirror stage when the child recognizes itself in the mirror. And that's usually around seeing that uh, that's me, that's, that's my body in the mirror, that's my face. At that point, we have the construction of this separate inner self, uh, which I then identify with as being bounded by my body, which then constructs the world out there of others. And as long as we are operating from a sense of separateness in that way and others out there, then we'll always be unhappy, we'll always be suffering, and we'll always be vulnerable to being hurt. And we'll always be setting up defences about trying to protect ourselves from being hurt. And the more defences we set ourselves up, the more disconnected we get from, paradoxically, from our emotions and from others. It's possible that our experience of emotional hurt is shaped by the metaphors of physical pain. So when we are young and we trip over and scrape our knee and it hurts, and we go to a caregiver and hopefully a caregiver comforts us. We experience a sense of physical hurt, of, of pain, being hurt. And, uh, and we experience how mummy or daddy can, can help to ease that sense of hurt by the comfort, the soothing. Then as we get older, and as the identification gets more and more complex with our separate self, you can see how we use metaphors. Metaphors um, like, for example, um, 
she or he cut me to the core. Broke my heart. I'm bleeding. I'm crushed. I'm cracking up or having a breakdown. Can you think of any other kinds of metaphors um, that we use to describe emotional pain that are founded in physical pain? I was crying tears of blood. Ooh. I was, I was <laughs> crying tears of blood. Oh. I was crying tears of blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really graphic. It's very graphic. It's very... Uh, Mm-hmm. I've heard that quite a bit. <clears throat> any, any others? Anyway, have a, have a, have a bit of a reflection on that. You'll probably, probably. I got burnt. Yeah, I got burnt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got burnt. Yeah. <laughs> how many, how many of us have gotten burnt at one point or another? Yeah. At the time, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I remember the um, in a Dylan song he talks about how how long we've been apart or something, and like a corkscrew through the middle of my heart. And, um, so in a sense, our experience of emotional hurt, and, and, and the metaphor of the heart is very, very powerful too. And um, so the, the process of, of um, one of the ways of, of practicing with, with emotional hurt uh, is you'll find in, 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 in Jojo Beck's teaching um, uh, the, the process of, of, um, of, uh, of not being uh, like, I mean, sometimes we can hold on to these emotional hurts for hours or days or months or even years. And um, that's generally not a very good idea um, to to hold on to this these emotional hurts, uh, which in time I guess are held on and become resentments, um, are um, very uh, debilitating and uh, destructive of ourselves and our relationships. So. One of the ways of, um, as we use our metaphors, you know, we're holding on to things, the other metaphor is letting go. And uh, one of the uh, letting go processes that is described in Joko's teaching is, the, is uh, she talks about two forms of practice, experiencing and naming. So experiencing is, is opening ourselves up to the experience of the hurt directly in our physical sensations. 
allowing ourselves to experience that, that burning sensation, that corkscrew in my heart. Feeling it, not trying to push it away or um, numb ourselves out to it by various avoidance strategies. This is the sense in which we bring our awareness and we allow and accept whatever it is we're experiencing in our bodies to be there. Our awareness itself is very healing. And, uh, if you pay close attention to awareness, you can experience it almost like a loving, caressing, gentle way of uh, that where our pain and our hurt appears in our awareness. But our awareness itself is not in pain. It takes a while to, it's subtle, very subtle. The other aspect of Jokas practice is naming or labeling. And that's the, the story part, that's the thinking part. That's bringing our attention to how we sustain or maintain or escalate the emotional hurt with our own story about what happened. We can often see quite clearly in our culture such a very, we're all conditioned, we're all brought up in this culture of duality. We're all conditioned to attribute my pains being caused by the other person, whether it was something they said or something they did and we experience this hurt. It's really important to take very close attention to that, to see if that's true or not, and to notice how the story we tell ourselves is often where that emotional pain is generated. But again, I'm not criticizing that, I'm not saying it's good or bad, I'm just asking you to observe it sort of non-judgmentally. Um, for example, um, I can <clears throat> notice how the stories we tell um, maintain the construction of duality, the self and the other. You know, you did this to me, you did that to me. Um, so, for example, let's take the example of a, of a couple, a husband and wife, just to be heterosexual. And um, let's, 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 for example, say that the, the husband forgets um, the, their anniversary. And um, so the wife you know, we're, we're, is feeling hurt, emotional hurt. What would be some of the kinds of stories the wife might be saying to herself in that situation? That's just hypothetically. Oh, he doesn't love me anymore. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't care. So typical. Obviously, I'm not important enough. 
mean, the fact is he hasn't, um, for whatever reason, he, he hasn't acknowledged the anniversary, but all of a sudden the, the, the wife is spinning around with all this story and thoughts and judgments. And she's experiencing the cause of her emotional upset as being caused by her husband. But is that really the case? And you think about it and observe it. Um, this is only something we can, we have to know directly. But we could certainly suggest that the the emotional hurt or upset is certainly maintained um, uh, by the the story, and. Um, and, 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 and as I said before, this, this can go on for a long time. Um, well, for something like that, um, to me, it's like an unrealistic expectation. Say it's their wedding anniversary. I mean, what is, why does the husband have to do the first thing? I mean, why can't she say, so what would be the difference? Why, for example, would one person get caught up in that, no, oh, he's forgotten, how could he do this to me? And another person might respond like you, Brenny. A lack of self-worth on the part of so when we're carrying around that lack of self-worth, which is just some kind of fraud or judgment or belief that we've been carrying around for a long time, that makes us ever so much more sensitive. And then we project that, on, that's what the other person thinks about us. Yeah. But if we're not carrying around that belief in our lack of self-worth, we're much less likely to get into that kind of emotionally hurt reaction. Yeah. It's also possibly about the meaning that different people give to different things and to different actions and yeah. and things like that. Mm. Um, and often I think, oh, I don't know, but maybe sometimes that is not um, something that stands on its own, but perhaps that's also as part of something, you know, a whole way of being or a whole mm. series of actions mm. and then something culminates perhaps with that and then therefore um, an, an extra meaning is put onto, mm. onto that action, which is not in isolation sort of thing. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Let me give you another example, and, and I'm curious as to um, how, you, how you view this from the point of view of practice, of Zen practice, or Buddhist practice, or spiritual practice. Um, how many of you here have seen the movie Love Actually? Yeah. Many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favourite movies yeah, too. It's yeah. good. Yeah. And, um, so who hasn't seen it? <coughs> oh, you haven't seen it. Um, there's a scene, one of, one of the characters is played by Emma Thompson. You know Emma Thompson? And uh, I can't remember the, the, the guy who played her husband, but he, I think he passed away a couple of years ago. I can't, can't remember his name. But any... It'll come. Yeah, and there's a very poignant scene in the movie um, where... Um, it's Christmas time. I mean, the whole movie is set around Christmas time, mm -hmm. and um, the husband is, is he has some kind of company. He's a company director of some kind, and 
Here's a secretary who's floating with him and trying to seduce him successfully, probably. I don't know if he ever sleeps with her, but it's certain, you could certainly describe it as a sort of emotional affair going on. I can't remember if it was physical or not, but there's definitely an emotional affair going on between the secretary and the husband. And, um, um, and so he, he, he goes into a um, department store and he buys his secretary a um, quite a beautiful brooch or diamond neck. What was it? Oh, it's a piece of jewellery. piece of jewellery. It was a locket. A locket. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and, um, and, and, and at some point, Emma Thompson sees him doing this. Oh, well, she, she, she finds the, she finds the, she finds the locket in his pocket. She finds his jacket. Yeah. Yeah. So she makes yeah, she makes the assumption that that's going to be her her her, her, her present at Christmas. And so it's Christmas Eve, and they're sitting around the tree, and the kids are there, and uh, they're passing their presents around, and he gives her her present, and she opens it, and it's the um, it's the box set of uh, Joni Mitchell's uh, Blue Album, and and she's she she kind of like. She holds it together mm. and walks out of the room into her bedroom, and then that 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 song of Johnny Mitchell's comes on about uh, I've looked at life from both sides, yeah. Yeah. it's lies, illusions, irony, something like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you can see the emotional hurt yeah. on her face. It's brilliantly acted. Yes, yeah. it's very powerful, really. Yeah. Mm. And when you when you see that seeing, you know, I feel a strong empathy towards her because mm. there's a sense of betrayal really, isn't it? Uh, mm. And um, so if you have been, um, just pretend you're a woman in this situation, <laughs> say if we reverse the gender roles or whatever, but you ha if you had been the person that that had happened to you, how would you, how would you practice with that? How would you, how would all your Buddhist and Zen and spiritual practice come into play with that? <laughs> because also it was not you know, it was not just about him being in prison, about her realising that he was giving it to somebody else. Yeah, what she found was going to somebody else. That's right. Yeah. It's all assumptions. I mean, I would talk, I would, I would talk, I would ask questions. I think she already knew. I think she had suspicions before that, didn't she? Yeah. Let, let's assume that she can fairly safely make the assumption that if it's not for her, then it's for mm. her husband's secretary. Mm. Mm. Well, you've got to ex try and express the hurt at the time rather than holding on to it. I, I myself would want to express some of that pain that I was feeling, uh, knowing that he was had feelings for another woman. I mean, marriage to me is a one-on-one -on -one thing, it's a monogamous thing, so mm. that would hurt me deeply and uh, I would have to express it at the time. I think I would have expressed it. Okay, so Robin would express it. Look, there's no yeah. right or wrong yeah. response or answer to this question, I'm just curious. <coughs> I mean, how would you describe her way of dealing with it? How does she deal with it? I can't remember. Really. 
Um, well, I, I, all I can remember is the pain when she goes into the bedroom. I can't remember really what happened after that. Well, what happened? She, she went out and said that everything was alright because I was going to the child's concert. Was it? That's right. Just oh, that's right. Okay. Well, yes. Well, that in, in that situation, yeah. you kind of want to. It would be hard to if. If the children were involved, I think you don't it's, yeah. want to get them caught up in it. Yeah, I think it's left yeah. a bit hanging in the movie. I can't remember if it's ever resolved in the movie. Always, I mean, when we see the fact that she... I can't remember now if they have a conversation about it or not. I think I they think do, don't they? I think they did. And yeah. I mean, yeah. it wasn't resolved, it was kind of just left hanging. They were both really sad about it and yeah. that was it. I mean, she certainly doesn't, you know, attack him with a pitchfork, you know, or throw a glass at him. With, that could be one response. <laughs> um, <laughs> so part of the practice could be trying to identify, you know, what the facts were, as opposed to what you're making up. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you might change. What's actually, what re- what's, what's actually happened, mm. um, and what is the story that I'm telling myself about? Yeah. So can we have some honesty here? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I think there's a lot of stuff in that dynamic that wasn't actually expressed between mm. them on a lot of, about a lot yeah. of things that there wasn't, you know, there were little yeah. hints about things but you didn't see a lot of open discussion. Yeah, yeah so the fact is that she saw a locket that she thought was for her mm. and the fact is she received a present given to what she expected. Yeah. And the locket is such a personal gift with a DVD set or whatever it is, right, you know. And yeah. she had a little bit of time to think about it because it was in exactly the same shape box and she'd shaken it under the tree and she'd gone, oh, yeah, it's, you know, so she built that expectation around it, I think, as well, hadn't she? And then mm-hmm. this is when she opened it and just the shock of that. Yeah. Because yeah. she'd been getting quite excited. I think that, that for, for the first time in ages, he got something, she was getting something personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think she built that story around that as well. We had that expectation. Yeah, if, 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 if Emma Thompson had been an enlightened Buddha, would she have been so devastated? No, no, because she, uh, no, because I mean, um, she'd look at it in a far more detached way, and, and um, she would certainly question um, what was actually happening in their relationship, the dynamics between them. You know, mm-hmm. like so. So I think this is what might be happening. So why something like that happening? What is actually going on between the two of us um, that we don't have that sort of uh, com- intimacy and communication and fit mm-hmm. between us uh, that he might want to be involved with something, you know, at that level? And I think it's also an extremely unrealistic expectation in today's marriages to think that just because you're married to somebody, you're not supposed to have any feelings for anybody else of the opposite sex. You know, you can view someone with great affection. Um, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to leave into bed with them, but there's a suspicion that the minute you, you have some affection for anybody else who you're not married to, but oh, what's going on? And it's human nature to connect. Yeah, I also think that some institutions, culturally, like marriage, yeah. are not necessarily conducive to, um, yeah, some of the premises around them are actually conducive to, you know, Buddhist ways of responding. Mm. Mm. You know, and then your brain is just conflict. conflict. Yeah. Because yeah. Of, you know, all the expectations, it builds around that the thing that's, you know, called marriage and this is what you do. Yeah. 
um, is not always conducive. To yeah, well, the notion of separateness, isn't it? It's like a married couple is separate from yes. everybody else. Yes. And yeah. you're only yes. two of you relating. You don't relate, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the object of your awareness, you have this one prime object of awareness. And so a lot of this time we get projected on And there's high vigilance around <coughs> what they do in your scene, what they're saying. Yeah, that conflicts with books. And we have, that's, there's got nothing to do with being open and, and accepting. Right. Yeah. Mm. It's just crazy. It's a crazy. They're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so just to keep it An enlightened Buddha or Charles Whiting or that you would just smile to yourself and think, isn't that interesting? Mm. I thought I was getting a lot there. Mm. And just leave it at that. And I've got, and I've got these CDs. So there you go. Put them on and dance. Just in conclusion, I just want to, I think the point of the story is that um, in, our, in our practice we're wanting to see through the, um, how we get caught in this illusionary sense of separateness, of a separate self. And um, we, can, we can, I think, gain some insight into whether our understanding of that is just intellectual, Mm. Or how, how how much deeper does it go? There's often metaphors used in Zen about you know this good skin deep understanding, that your understanding to your you know your inners, or, <laughs> or going, and then to the right to the marrow of your bones, or in every cell of your body kind of thing. There's a sense in which, um, and um, you know, there's a number of there's like a chapter in, in Joko's book which, when she talks about something like this and. Like she'll say something like, she's never met anybody who's 100% enlightened in the Buddha. We're, we're, we're all of us. Um, but like, um, so I guess um, these situations are good feedback to ourselves as to how much we're still identified with our, with our body and with our separate self. And, uh, and um, I think sometimes the best we can do in, in that situation like that is to be able to respond in a way which is compassionate. And the compassionate response is always not just about me, but it's also about both of us. Mm. And uh, if our practice enables us to respond compassionately, I think, I think that would be a pretty good response. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's, mm. we're, obviously we're both hurting here in some way. Mm. And uh, can we, you know, work through this, or do we need to separate? I think there was a little bit of a response in the movie, wasn't it? It was a fairly compassionate response in the movie. It'd be interesting to track it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think well, she was very sort of kind to him, and I think he felt a bit remorseful, but they didn't say much. But yeah, I think that was the impression he had that it was fairly. I think I think he felt pretty bad once he he he, he saw that she had yeah. actually. Uh, had the knowledge, yes, and he felt very ashamed of himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Liam Neeson, yeah. and he was the other fellow. Oh, was this he? was the one that played. Um, oh, um, yes. you know, he was in. Um, he was in Harry Potter, and he played yes, the old guy. Snake. Yes, that's right. And he he died a couple of years ago. Yes. I think. Yeah. yeah, that was who was it? Yeah. So yeah, so if you haven't seen the movie, I would recommend. I'm surprised you haven't seen it, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Library, I'll put it to the library and Monday get the